when I was a junior in high school, I had a lot of pride in my life. And one of the reasons I had a lot of pride in my life is because I was a three-sport athlete. And so I thought I was kind of studly. And um, one of the things that I prided myself in was I was a pitcher, and from the time of Little League, one of the things I could do, I could throw a strike every time. And so I could come in a game, and I could throw strikes, and I could help us win, and I just loved that. Well, one day, uh, I got called into the game. I was a junior in high school, and for some reason, I could not throw strikes. I don't know what it was. I couldn't do it. And finally, my coach was just like, okay, you know, your, your time's done. You need to come out. It's obvious that you're disappointed. And so I came out, and I was so angry. I was so disappointed. I walked over to the dugout, and I threw my glove as hard as I could at the fence. By the way, I think that was the fastest pitch I ever pitched in my life. And then all the bats were lined up along the fence, and I kicked all of them down. And all the bats went flying in the dugout, and they're aluminum back then, so they're bouncing and pinging and making all this noise. And everybody's looking. And I don't know about you, but for you, is, is failure like a major disappointment? It just is for me. Like, there's something about me that I hate failing. I hate being a disappointment. Here's what I've learned before that moment, but also since that moment. Guess what? I fail a lot. I've failed as a son, a brother, a student, a husband, a parent, a coach, a pastor, a friend, a neighbor, a sports fan. I've failed at everything you can possibly fail at. For me, failure is very disappointing. I'm getting better at it. I'm not taking it so personally. I don't kick bats anymore. Our dog is not hurt. But I'm learning it's a part of life. But how many of you are kind of like me? When I fail, I want to run. I want to hide. I want to just get away. And when I fail my best friend, Jesus, I want to run from him. I just want to hide from him. I I don't want to read my Bible. I don't want to pray. I I just kind of want to take a break. And, And I realize we all do this, don't we? We all run from our failures. For instance, when you're late for work, who do you try to avoid? Your boss, of course. When you owe someone money, you try to avoid them. When you don't do your homework assignment, what do you do? You try to walk in the door, hope the teacher doesn't see you, and just slip into your desk, right? We all do this. Today, we're going to look at a moment in the life of Peter, a moment when Peter failed in Matthew 26. Now, Peter, sometimes he looks like a really strong individual, and sometimes he looks like an individual that just doesn't have a clue. And sometimes he looks like a great leader, and sometimes he looks like he's not even following Jesus. He's probably very passionate and very visionary, but Peter failed often. One of his most notable failures is what we're going to look at today in the Bible, where Peter disowned Jesus three times. Now, before we jump in, can I just say something? Aren't you glad 
that your failures aren't written in a book that people have been studying for 2,000 years about how to not do something. Aren't you glad for that? Let's just soak that in for a moment and say, I'm so glad all of my failures aren't written in a book where people are saying, don't do what you did. Sorry, Peter, wherever you are. I know you're in heaven, but sorry we're going to learn from you this morning. But not only are we going to see Peter's failure, here's what we're really going to see. We're going to see Jesus' grace. We're going to see Jesus' love. We're going to see Jesus restoring healing. And I want us to see that this morning. But let's start with Peter. At the Last Supper, Peter made a promise to Jesus. This was Peter's promise to Jesus in verse 31. He said, Jesus told them, this very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But before I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, You will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. All of the other disciples said the same. Now, if you know the story, and we'll get to it in a minute, Peter failed. He failed at keeping his promise. He denied even knowing Jesus. As a result, Peter felt awful. He felt so bad that he just went home and returned to fishing. But Jesus sought him out and welcomed him back into relationship, back into leadership. See, what I want us to see this morning is that Peter's story reminds us that everyone is welcome, no matter what you've done. This is a very important thing that I think all of us need to have soaked into us deeply. And that is that failure does does not stop us from being who we can be in the kingdom. Everyone is welcome. This is huge. We need to understand as people that God is for us, not against us, that he welcomes everyone. He welcomes the outcasts. He welcomes those who don't have it all together. And many of you may, may be thinking or maybe have thought that God wants nothing to do with you because of your failure. And I want you to know this morning that that's not true. It's not true at all. In fact, when we read the life of Jesus like we're reading right now in our Bible reading plan, our 55 days with Jesus, have you noticed that the people that Jesus hangs out with all the time are the people that are the biggest failures in life? Have you noticed that? He's hanging out with the prostitutes and the tax collectors and the lepers and the the worst of society of their day. Those are all the people that Jesus would call his friends. They're the people that are struggling and having difficulties in their life, and those are the people that Jesus is hanging out with. He reminds us that he wants that for us too. Now, we looked at Peter's bold promise to Jesus on the night before Jesus' death. Even if everyone leaves you, I won't. And I want us to look at the rest of the story in Matthew chapter 26 as well. It's in verse 69. While you're getting to verse 69, which is all probably on the same page for you, let me just give us a little background. The background is this, that Peter made his promise to never disown Jesus. Jesus has been betrayed by Judas at this point. The temple guards and a mob have arrested Jesus. 
and taken him to the high priest. They've now falsely accused him. Peter and John have followed at a distance to see what's happening to Jesus. And they see Jesus being falsely accused, spit on, slapped, punched, beaten, verbally abused. And this is where we pick up Peter's story in Matthew 26, verse 69. It says, Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. Now let me just remind you, this this Greek word servant girl, we would translate it today, middle schooler. That's what we would translate it. A middle schooler walked up to him and said, you also, sorry, you also were with Jesus of Galilee, weren't you? (laughs) But he denied it before all of them. I I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went away. He he leaves, right? Like, I got to get out of that situation. So he leaves and he goes over by the gateway where another middle schooler sees him. And says to him, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. And he denied it again. And he swears, I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing went up to Peter and said, surely you are with them. Your accent gives you away. You've got to be from Texas. Come on, dude. (laughs) Or from Boston. You can't pronounce your R's. Then he began to call down curses and swore to them, I don't know the man. And immediately, a rooster crowed. Nothing like having your failure pointed out to you immediately, right? (laughs) And then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. I don't know if you've ever wept bitterly before. I have. It's like an uncontrollable weeping that just takes over your mind and your body, and you literally cannot stop because you're so disappointed. My guess is that Peter is not disappointed in anyone else except for himself. Now, we know that God turns everything into good, amen? Because what if Peter had said, oh, I totally believe in Jesus, and they threw him in there, and Peter died as well on the cross? Who, who would Jesus have used to start the church and lead the church in Acts chapter 1 and 2? See, Jesus had a different plan for Peter. And Jesus is going to use Peter's failures as well. And, and I want to talk about three important lessons we learn from this moment and, and the next moment we'll look at in a minute from Peter's life and how Jesus responds to Peter's failure. See, Peter broke his promise. He failed. And we do the same thing, just like Peter. In fact, everyone fails. That's the first thing I want us to understand this morning. Everyone fails, don't we? We all do. In fact, I believe failure is the great equalizer of mankind. It's what helps all of us understand and know that we're on the same playing field. We have this in common. We all fail. We all are broken. We all have hurts and need healing. We all are sinners. Now, the problem with failure is there's consequences when you fail. If I fail to design a bridge correctly, it's going to fall down and people will get hurt. 
If I fail to brush my teeth, I will have plaque and gum disease and cavities and the worst breath, worse than my dog. If I fail to eat properly, I'll be unhealthy. If I fail to clean a cut, it'll probably get infected and worse. If I fail to be faithful in a relationship, I could lose it. Now, what's interesting is none of these failures have to do with the laws that we've set as men, as society. These are just natural consequences in our world that happen whether we put a law to it or not. But we could also recognize that we've all failed according to the man-made types of rules that we've put together. Like, has anybody ever speeded before and got a ticket? How about two in one day? Okay, let's move on. Let's move on. If I fail to pay my taxes, the IRS will come after me, right? If I fail to respect people's things or their bodies, I can be arrested. See, what we discover is when we fail, there are consequences. Now, as Christians, we believe something different about the planet that we live on. We believe God created it. It's his. We believe that everything here is his. The earth is his. This is his planet. Therefore, since it's his, he should get to make some rules. Amen? I mean, that makes sense. Do you have any rules at your house? I'll bet you do. I bet you have a couple rules at your house. God has some rules in his house as well. And when we fail to follow his rules at his house, it's interesting. We hurt others. But who do we hurt first? We hurt him. We hurt him. The Bible talks about something that is important for us to understand about everyone failing, and that's in Romans 3.23. It says there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. In other words, all people groups, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's true. Everyone fails. Well, what are the consequences for our failure? What are the consequences for us breaking God's rules? Romans 6.23 tells us the wages of sin is death. But the second part of the verse is actually the good part of the verse. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? See, the consequences for our death, the wages for our sin, is death. But Jesus came that we might have eternal life as we believe in him. See, believing that everyone fails is a fundamental belief of our Christian faith and our Christian theology and the way we live and the way that we choose to see the world, the way we choose to see people in the world. This is very, very important. So I want you to hear me for a minute because I want to tell you three things that When we believe that everyone fails, there's three important things that I think need to become a part of our life that we embrace and that we live out. When you understand that everyone fails, then you understand the first thing, and that is that no one is better than anyone else. How many of you think our country is struggling with this right now? This is right where we're at. But when you understand that everyone fails, then that means... No one's better than you, and no one else is better than anyone else. You're all the same. See, in Christianity, we believe we're all equal, and we all can live in unity together, even if we don't understand everyone. 
and even if we have different beliefs and value systems. We are equal because we are all broken. Number two, everyone deserves to be loved. When you understand that everyone fails and that Jesus died on the cross and rose again, then you understand and believe that everyone deserves to be loved, no matter what. This is the life of Jesus Christ, and this is the life of his followers. See, Christianity believes that every one of us is created in the image of God and is deserving of God's love, Jesus' sacrifice, and lastly, the love of Jesus' followers. And third, when you believe that everyone fails, then you have to know that we all need a Savior. We all need a Savior. No one's better than anyone else. Everyone deserves to be loved, and we all need a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus. You know what? There's some really good news about our failure, and it's this, that failure is not forever when you believe in Jesus. Failure is not forever when you believe in Jesus. It's just a short-term thing that teaches you a lesson about how to be better. See, everyone fails. But secondly, everyone can be forgiven. Everyone can be forgiven. Let's look at the forgiveness section of Peter's life. Turn to John chapter 21 with me. While you're, while you're getting to John chapter 21... Jesus is now risen from the dead. He's come back to life. He's appeared to the disciples several times. But Peter is still, I believe, so disappointed. He can't get over his failure at all. And so he's now at a place where he's gone home. He's gone back to Galilee, and, he, and he's gone back to fishing. Fishing is his family business. But interestingly, Jesus is going to meet him right here again in a boat where Peter is fishing, which reminds me, even today, the best place to meet Jesus is when you're fishing in a boat on a lake. Just pointing that out. John 21, verse 1. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told him. In other words, I give up. I'm done. Forget it. Just go back to what was normal. If you don't have COVID, you can do that. We'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish. You always have to have a fishing story, so here it is. 
It was full of large fish, 153 large fish. But even with so many, the nets were not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask them, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he had raised them from the dead. When they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now let's just stop here for a second. Jesus' first question is, do you love me more than these? More than the other guys sitting around the fire. Now, does Peter? That's what he said. Even if all of these guys fall away, I won't. Peter, do you love me more than the rest? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? It probably all sinks in on the third one, right? Peter's now hurt. He's remembering his disownment of Christ. And he's now ah, struck to the heart. Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you to where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. It's an important phrase. Follow me. Everyone can be forgiven. I want us to notice several things from this encounter with Jesus. The first one is this. This moment that Peter had with Jesus is the exact same moment that Peter had with Jesus three years before. Remember, this is how Jesus called Peter into ministry the first time. When Jesus showed up at the shore and said, did you catch any fish? Peter said, nope, been fishing all night. Maybe throw your nets on the other side. And Peter says, we've been fishing all night. We have fished on the other side of the boat. We're not dumb. Maybe you should try it just for me. And they throw their net on the other side, and they catch this giant net of fish. And when Peter gets to the shore, Jesus says, follow me. See, when Jesus first called Peter to follow him, it was a miraculous catch of fish. And that's why as soon as they catch the fish, Peter knows that it's Jesus on shore, and he jumps in the water, and he swims to shore. Have you ever noticed that sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes Jesus takes you back to your past to remind you what he's done in you, the healing he's worked in you, that he's been there all along, that he's been faithful every day, and he uses a moment to remind you of that 
so that you can continue in your future. That's what Jesus is doing with Peter. Second thing we notice is that Peter, that Jesus asks Peter three times if he loves him. And Jesus did that on purpose. Because Peter had denied Jesus three times, and Jesus is affirming his forgiveness for each act, for each moment. Now notice that the question is about love. Do you love me? In other words, Jesus is saying, Peter, the first thing that needs to happen here is you and I need to have a good relationship. If you're going to continue in your future and receive healing from me, then, then I need to hear from you that you love me, that this is going to continue in the future, that our relationship is solid. And so the question is about love. And when we fail, the question will always be, do we love Jesus? And are we going to move on into his love? I think these three questions are intentional. And Jesus is doing three things. First, Jesus is reaffirming to Peter that he wants relationship with him. He's reaffirming that. Second, he's reestablishing that Peter is called to sit under Jesus' ministry. And then third, he is reminding Peter that his failure will not stop what Jesus wants to do in his life. So Jesus reaffirmed his relationship. He reestablished his leadership. And he reminded Peter that his failure will not stop what Jesus has in mind for his life. That's good news, amen? The same is true for you. If you've failed somehow and you've found yourself just stuck in that failure, I want you to know something. This morning, this morning, today, Jesus wants to reaffirm, reestablish, and remind you that your failure cannot stop what Jesus has for your life. In fact, nothing can stop Jesus from doing what he wants to do in you when you will submit your life to him. The third thing is Jesus tells Peter to feed my sheep. Jesus is reinstating Peter to his place of leadership. And we discover that our failure does not disqualify us for service in Jesus' kingdom. That there are things that Jesus can repair and heal. And this is the great reminder of the last thing I want us to see about Peter's story, and that is that everyone's mess can become a message. Everyone's mess can become a message. I have a feeling that this became Peter's testimony. I have a feeling that this became one of the stories that Peter told over and over again to people that wanted to know about how much Jesus loved them. I have a feeling that this became a significant illustration when Peter openly and publicly shared the life of Jesus. That Peter could say, I, I remember a time when Jesus met me when I was fishing. We had this giant catch of fish, and man, Jesus just said, follow me, and I've been following him ever since. And then, gosh, I just disappointed Jesus so bad one time, and he met me again by the lake and restored me reminded me that he loved me and that my failure won't stop my future. See, Peter had a story about how Jesus saved him and he could share that with others. And I want to tell you something this morning and that is that you have a story like that too. 
you have a story about how Jesus saved you. And if you will let the Holy Spirit do a deep work in you of healing, then you have a message. See, Jesus can use your failure if you'll let him heal you through it. Now, here's what's interesting. If you don't let Jesus heal your mess, you'll just continue in misery. That's true. If you don't let Jesus heal your mess, you'll just continue in misery. You won't have a message. But if you'll let Jesus heal you, you'll have a message. Now, there's something very interesting about each of our stories. Something very interesting about each of our mess. And that is this. You most often will connect with people most effectively when you have a similar story of failure, brokenness, or pain. People that you connect with when you share your story will be people that connect with your mess. Because guess what? They made the same mess. Or were stuck in the same mess that somebody else created that you got stuck in. See, when we share our story of salvation and healing, you'll discover that other people have had that similar experience to you. And they, at that point, will need your leadership so that you can connect them to Jesus for their healing. When you share Jesus and you share your mess and how Jesus brought healing to your life, they may be struggling with the same addiction you did. They may be struggling with the similar ex experience of abuse you did. They may have experienced or may be experiencing the same thoughts you and disbelief you had about Jesus when you were in your mess. And as you share your story about not believing in Jesus and now you are believing in Jesus, they're going to connect with you. By the way, this is why sharing your story is so important. This is why Jesus said, go and make disciples. Go and share your story. If you don't share your story with people, then they can't connect with you, and you can't connect them with Jesus. So I want to encourage you about something. I want to encourage you in your free time or in your devotional time, in your time with Jesus, I want to encourage you to formulate a five-minute story about your salvation. Come up with a five-minute story. You can write an outline. You can write it out word for word, whatever, and then memorize it. Now, it's not too hard. I mean, you know your story. That's not too difficult. But you want to try to get it down to about five minutes. If you can get it to five minutes then you can share your story just about anywhere. Now, if you have more time than five minutes, you can add to your story and share more about your story. But when you have your story figured out and you practice your story and maybe you share it with other believers and you hone in on your story and you begin to know it, then you'll find that the Holy Spirit will give you tons of opportunities all the time to share your story. And you may say, Pastor Mark, I'm way too scared to share my story with anyone. Oh, of course you are. But the Holy Spirit's going to share it through you. 
The Holy Spirit's going to give you courage. The Holy Spirit's going to give you ability. And you're going to do things that you never would have thought you would do in the power of the Spirit. And then you'll know this is not about me because I would never share. This is what Jesus is doing. This is what the Holy Spirit is doing. He's using me in this moment to talk to my coworker or talk to my neighbor or talk to a family member. I'm sharing my five-minute story or my 10-minute story right now because this person needs to hear about Jesus. And right in that moment, you, your, your coworker discovers, oh my gosh, I went through the exact same thing. Could, could we talk more about Jesus? Well, sure, our break's over, but how about tomorrow? Yeah, I can't wait. Can I meet you in the break room right at this time tomorrow? Sure. That's how it works. It's just that simple. If we'll let the Holy Spirit do. I believe, probably like you do, that the world needs to hear Christians saying, everyone is welcome, no matter what you've done. Instead of, whatever you've done, you're out. If you're having a hard time in life, oh, no room for you. You think differently than we do? Uh, no, we don't take people that don't think differently than you. Anybody else in the room ever think differently about Jesus than you do now? See, we need Christians to start saying everyone is welcome, no matter what you've done or no matter what you're doing. No matter what you're stuck in, no matter what mess you've made, or no matter what mess you're in the middle of right now, you are welcome in Christ. Because everyone fails, everyone can be forgiven, and everyone's mess can become a message. Would you pray with me? I recognize that there might be someone in the room, or maybe someone watching live, or is going to watch later, that you, maybe you, uh, you just reverberated with that second point that everyone can be forgiven. Maybe you're at a place where you're realizing, I need forgiveness. I, I need to, I need to commit my life to Jesus, and I need to let Jesus be my Savior and my Lord. I want you to know it's really simple. It's just those things we talked about in Romans, believing that you're broken and you need healing. And then believing that Jesus Christ is your Savior and you inherit eternal life. You inherit the healing that you need. And then you get to walk that healing out. You get to start learning and growing, being transformed and changed so that you're healed and set free from everything this world brings messes to. And so if that's where you're at this morning, I want you to know if you're in the middle of a mess, you need Jesus to rescue you. You need him to just reach down and grab you, and he will if you'll raise your hand up and just say, Jesus, that's exactly what I need. So this morning, if you're here in the room or if you're watching live and you just say, man, I'm in a mess and I need Jesus to rescue me out of it, would you just raise your hand? It's just your way of saying, Jesus, here I am. It's kind of like you putting your hand up to just ask him to rescue you. All right, thanks, Lord. You can put your hands down. Jesus, I thank you for those that have just said, I'm in a mess, and I need you to rescue me. For those of you that um, you're raising your hand and you're in a mess because you've not believed in Jesus or not followed Jesus 
uh, and you need you need to believe in him as a, as your savior then i'm going to ask you to do something really important as soon as we're done here and that is to confess your sin to jesus and just talk to him just say jesus i'm sorry that i failed i'm sorry that i failed you and i've failed myself and i've failed others would you forgive me and then secondly i believe that you died on the cross and you rose again for me and would you would you just place your holy spirit in me that i might understand what it means to live like a follower of jesus christ if you're if you need jesus right now for the first time i'm going to ask you to pray that prayer for those of you that you you do believe in jesus but maybe like peter um you've gotten yourself in a mess somehow. And maybe it's because of your sin. Maybe it's not because of your sin. Maybe it's just something difficult going on. Um, The best place for us to be is to just say, Jesus, here I am. Here's all of me. I I surrender my life and my mess to you. Would you forgive me, set me free from it, and would you help me to have a message from this? Jesus, we thank you and we praise you so much that your love, your acceptance, and your forgiveness are always available to us 24-7. Thank you that your grace and your mercy is new every morning and that you are faithful to us every single second of the day. Thank you, Jesus, that we are always welcome. We are always welcome in relationship with you in your kingdom, in your church. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help Cheney Faith Center to be, help us to be a group of people that says to everyone, you are welcome. No matter who they are, what they're doing, what they've done, would we be people that say, just like Jesus does, everyone is welcome. Help us to be that kind of church. Help us to be those kind of people at work, at home, wherever we go, help us to be people that welcome everyone in the name of Jesus. Lord, I know that's hard. I know that we're going to need courage to do that. I know we're going to need strength to do that. But Lord, this is who you were. Help us to be that way today. We give you thanks and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I want to challenge you. you. If you said yes to Jesus this morning for the first time, um, I'd love to just connect with you. So one of the things you can do to help us connect with one another is could you text the word I said yes, all one word, I said yes, to the number 43506, and one of the pastoral staff would love to just get in contact with you and uh, begin to help you start to live a life for Jesus. All right? Well, thanks for coming this morning. Always remember, Jesus loves you very much. So do Kate and I. Have a great week.